Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm K. Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It really began in earnest for me when a pastor I was working for at a Protestant church asked me questions about the history of our faith and why I believed certain things that I believed about Protestant Christianity. Well, that led me on a deep dive into the history of my faith. And along the way, I encountered the Catholic Church for the first time through actual Catholic sources, Catholic authors and videos and lectures. And it was then that I realized what I thought I knew about Catholicism, but the faith was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week I have a real Catholic thinker talking about the Catholic faith from the heart of the church. No misinformation here. And this week, I am joined by my good friend, Robert LeBlanc, author and co-host of the Pints and Pews podcast, to talk about his journey as a Catholic, growing up Catholic, in the same small town where I grew up evangelical Christian. It's a fantastic conversation that contrasts those two dynamics, what I thought about Catholics in that town, what he thought about his fellow Catholics in that town, and what lessons we can learn from our experiences growing up in the faith, the, the seeds planted by God, the, the way those things unfurl, and everything in between. This conversation and all others on this podcast are brought to you in part by the support of our patrons and our sponsors over at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and paypal.me slash cordialcatholic, those one-time donors. And I have a few new ones to thank this week, so thank you to Matt, thank you Carla, thank you Kathy, and thank you John for your support of this show. It helps this thing to keep on going and growing, and it helps me, enables me and us and as a family to be able to, to spend time doing this thing. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for blessing me to bless others with the creation and the production of this show. Thank you so much. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with my friend Robert LeBlanc on a growing up Catholic, growing up evangelical in the same small-ish town. You're going to love it. It's a fantastic conversation. I'm not biased. It's great. Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome to the show. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here uh, and, and welcome. If you're listening on podcasts, make sure you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That helps to push the podcast out to new people. And if you're on YouTube, thanks for being there. Please subscribe, hit the bell so you're notified when new videos come out each and every week. And please do leave some comments, interact with, with me and the show. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, thanks for watching on YouTube. Uh, we're in for a fantastic episode this week, friends. I am joined by Robert LeBlanc. He is a Catholic husband, father, and a sinner, he says, just trying to make his way to heaven, even though it means a lengthy stopover in purgatory. His travels have taken him through France, Belgium, Germany, and Portugal, among others, but he still feels at home in a smallish town like the one that he and I grew up in. 
Robert is a Catholic speaker and retreat leader, the author of two fantastic books, and the co-host of the Fantastic Pints and Pews podcast. Robert, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show, bienvenue, and hello. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to be here, Keith. Like It's uh, it's an honor. When I look back uh, across the guest list that you have, the, the illustrious list of guests you've had over the, the history of the podcast... I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing here, here, uh, here with you. So, uh, and as we were saying before too, because you've been on the Pints and Pews podcast, that's kind of how we we first yeah, yeah. met. Um, it's a lot easier when you're the one running the show. Like I'm just a, a bit of a ball of nerves here today because I'm so used to being on the other side of the microphone, if you want, and uh, the one asking the questions. And now I feel like I'm. I'm in the hot seat here. <laughs> you are, you are. You're in the hot seat, Robert, but I'm happy to have you in that in that hot seat. It makes you feel any better. It might be not the most illustrious Scott Hahn of the guests on the show, Robert, but you are, I think, maybe the, the second French-speaking guest on the show. I can tell you a story, just between me and you, because no one's, no one's watching and listening to this program anyway, so I'll, just, I'll tell you the story. I had Carlo Broussard from Catholic Answers on the show, and I figure Robert, a name like Broussard, he must be he must speak French, have a French background. Uh, he's from Louisiana. He's got a really thick, you know, I assumed Louisiana Cajun accent. I, I don't know. <laughs> so I said I introduced him on the show, and I said, "Oh, bienvenue, Carlo." And I get this just deadpan stare, <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, I tried my high school French out, and I guess we're not going, we're not going there." It was super awkward. So. Perhaps your illustriousness can be the the least making me feel awkwardest uh, French speaking guest on the show, Robert. Robert. Well, I don't want to make you. I mean, you're the host. I don't want to make <laughs> you feel awkward. Though when you brought out that bienvenue, uh, for the the last few weeks, we actually had uh, my friend's daughter visiting from Brussels, so I've been speaking more French than English, kind of the last few weeks. When you came out with the bienvenue, it was all I could do to reel it back in. Not just. Start start coming back uh, in French know. because it, it does get to be you just answer in the in the language yeah. that, that hey, comes out. Hey, we'll, at you. we'll finally reach that French speaking audience that I've been trying to tap into for for years. <laughs> there you go. We'll do it. We'll do it that way. Robert, I'm happy to have you on the show. Uh, this is the idea for this show was bouncing around in my head the last number of months, I was kind of thinking through different angles on this because I really wanted to have you on the show to work through this kind of a conversation and, and hear about your story and, and how our journeys intertwine in a bit. And I'll let listeners know, when we first met through you having me graciously enough on, on your podcast, Pints and Pews, a fantastic podcast, I might add, uh, we discovered that we're from the same smallish uh, hometown. We grew up in the same, yeah. a, a bit of part time-wise, but the town hasn't changed all that much in that time, at least. And I thought, how interesting would it be to kind of, uh, kind of bookend or or have two points of view of of growing up in that town? Because I mentioned a lot before on this show. Part of my journey was encountering these Catholics in this smallish town that I lived in. And I, but the joke that I always that I always uh, g- give uh, Robert is that those guys at the punk rock shows down at the at the Legion or at the Youth Center on Main Street, those are the guys who knew where to get the best dope. Right with the guys who came in their Catholic uniforms on a Friday after school, and so, I could probably name each and every one of them too. Right? <laughs> so, so that for me was was uh, my perspective on on Catholics growing up and becoming an evangelical Christian early in high school. I saw these guys who, to me, 
Like, how is that any kind of faith? How are these guys Catholic? How are, how are they living out the Christian lifestyle in these different contexts where I saw them? Of course, I've, I've learned a lot since then. I've grown a lot since then in my perspective and hopefully matured a little bit and understand a bit more about the nuances of faith and teenage being a teenager and these kinds of things. But, but I thought, how cool would it be to have you on the show to talk through, you know, that angle of you were, you were, I don't know, one of those guys. Catholic guys, Robert, but <laughs> those are a few years in purgatory from my from my high school. Yeah, well, career, isn't, it, isn't it for all of us? But I think this is going to be a very short show then for you because <laughs> yeah, there's not going to be a whole lot more I can add to your perspective if you know, kind of yeah, what what you saw, uh, yeah, in some ways was was kind of my my, my experience. Um, you know, I have to say that was probably one of my most favorite podcasting moments was having you on the show. And as we were talking about Pints and Pews, we always have a beer as we talk through the faith. And uh, we both had a, a beer from you know one of our favorite breweries, uh, the, the Old Flame, which is just down the, the street from me here. And there's another one in our hometown of Newmarket. And as we were talking about that and kind of coming to the realization that we're both from the same <laughs> town and uh, yeah, no, that was, yeah, I, I still think about that, uh, that moment often because yeah. it's one of my, my favorite moments. And like you said too, there's a few years difference um, between, and I won't say which one of us is older, but I think <laughs> that those who are watching on YouTube can see who has a little bit more gray in the beard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I won't let on who that is because yeah, you know, I can still live my dreams, yeah, right? Yeah, those dreams are bare. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk a bit about your your story, your angle on, on this whole thing. Tell us a bit about what it was like growing up Catholic in in our little in a little small town, uh, yeah. and, and we'll we'll stop along the way. We'll jump into different different topics and, and dissect things and, and intertwine. But I want to know. Tell us a bit about uh, what that was like, that experience. We had a really good laugh this afternoon because I was sharing with my wife. I said, you know, she she is known because I always let everyone in the house know ahead of time when I'm going to be recording these, whether it's the Pines and Pews or, or coming on a great show like the Cordial Catholic. And I was after lunch talking to my wife. So I didn't really share with you kind of what the subject matter is about for this <laughs> evening's conversation. I said, he wants to talk about, cause she knows that we both grew up in the same town. I says, he wants to know what it was like growing up Catholic in Newmarket. And my wife kind of looked at me and she said, you grew up Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to... Yeah, no, kind of. Yeah. If you want, just, well, no, I, I, I thought you, you got your, your sacraments later on in life. I said, well, yeah, first Holy Communion was put off a little bit because we weren't, as a family, going to church and when I was in that age group for First Holy Communion. But I said, you know, I, got, I was baptized as a baby and I got confirmation on time. It was just kind of that, that one period. And she said, oh, you were baptized as a baby? I said, yeah, no, I was baptized in the same church my parents got married in. And then it kind of dawned on me. I said, probably the only time my parents were in that church was for their wedding <laughs> and for my baptism. And so my wife says, so I need to ask again, did you really grow up Catholic? <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah, a little bit hit and miss, I guess, if you, if you really want to look at it. And that's why I'm saying, too, that when you, your perspective of those high school kids you know, wasn't that far off the mark even for myself <laughs> yeah. in, in a lot of ways. So, um 
as I'd been thinking and, and contemplating this conversation over the, the last couple of weeks since you sent out the invitation, I've been jotting a lot of notes of, of different things from my life of how the faith kind of was intertwined in there. And I can say that, yeah, in some ways I did have a, a typical cradle Catholic upbringing that kind of from about the age of nine on that there were certain parts of the faith that were kind of you know, taken for granted. Like we're going to church on Sunday. But that was kind of about it. And like there's church on Sunday, but after that there, there wasn't a whole lot. So that's where I say it wasn't all that typical either. Like if you're looking for the story of the kid that, you know, grew up, you know, on his knees, praying the rosary every night after dinner. Uh, well, that, that wasn't my household <laughs> at, at all. Um, and a lot of that stems, like all of our faith journeys, it, they start with our parents. And so my own dad was raised Roman Catholic, French Canadian in Ottawa. But in a lot of ways, I would say for him, especially in his adult life, barely Catholic. For a while, when my sister and I were younger, yes, it was Mass on Sundays. But then even as we got into high school and teenage years, that kind of fell off the, the wayside. Right? And my mom grew up in the Salvation Army. And even outside of Salvation Army, she shared that she, you know, some Sundays would go to the Anglican Church, some Sundays to the Methodist Church, some Sundays was back at the Salvation Army. So you know, the, the Christian faith was there. But there wasn't a huge foundation. The, the foundation wasn't very strong, uh, especially when it came to the, the Catholic faith. Uh, my mom was actually just sharing. She was over the last few days, and she said the first time she met her in-laws, so my grandma and grandpapa, uh, my parents were engaged, and they, my dad took her to Ottawa to meet his parents. And the next morning, my mom said, so how did it go? And, you know, my dad said, well, my, my mom only had two questions at the end of the night. Does she speak French and is she Catholic? <laughs> right? And it was no on both accounts. So, um, yeah, the faith wasn't a huge part of my parents' relationship, aside from getting, yes, married in the church and having their children baptized in the church. But really, my very first memory of church is the United Church in Newmarket. And I'm sure you can picture the big yellow brick church on main street at the top of the hill in Newmarket. And that was my first experience of church was going there. Right. And I can remember sitting up in the, the balcony wondering, well, how come I can't have the crouton and the grape juice? Right. Uh, and then from that, the, the Sunday school and in the gym and you know, running around the gym and there was, you know, maybe a little bit of a Christian lesson going on. I, I was three. I really can't, can't remember all of the details of that, but that really was my, my first experience of, of church. Now, my first experience of Catholicism was through my grandmama and my, my dad's mom in Ottawa, and we would go to visit two or three times a year. And it's actually kind of funny. We would drive from Newmarket to Ottawa, and we would go right through Port Perry, which is where I live now. So, like, all my life, you know, two, three times, blowing through this little town in 
now that's where I, where I am. And so my, my first experience of Catholicism, and it's not that we would go to mass as such while we were there. She would go to mass. We would all still hang out in the apartment, but just the, the Catholic iconography that was in her apartment and, and two things really stand out from my childhood there wasn't was that in her bedroom so we would get grandma's bedroom to, to sleep in i don't i guess she was then on the the sofa or, or something and at the foot of her bed on the dresser watching over the bed was a three-foot statue of saint anne as in, in french canada saint anne is uh kind of the patron saint or one of the one of the patronesses uh of Catholic Quebec of French Canadian Catholicism and there's a strong devotion to Saint Anne and so I always remember this statue that was watching over us while we sleep that same statue now 50 some odd years later I guess now I'm giving away which one of us is the, the, the elder <laughs> statesman here uh, is now in our dining room oh, wow right so it, it eventually found its way into our home and she watches over us while we eat. And I always say that, you know, our family patron saints have a, a habit of uh, picking us. So there was St. Anne that I grew up with. But we found out a few years ago, we went seven years ago back to Portugal to the Azores, which is where my in-laws are from. And my father-in-law's home parish is Santa Ana, St. Anne. And we were there for the Feast of St. Anne. Oh, wow. And if you want to go see a beautiful Catholic culture and doing a, a Saint's Feast Day, Portugal is the place to do it. Because the, the floral carpets and the mass and the procession and the, the bands playing. And this is on a tiny little island in the middle of nowhere. Right? So it's uh, so St. Anne was always a big part of my life growing up. And then the other part that I always remember from my grandma's apartment is she had on the wall this picture painting and this was a painting of mary holding the christ child kind of overlooking a valley and on a far hill on the other side of the valley there are three crosses on the top of the hill and so mary's holding the christ child <laughs> and gazing across to golgotha and even as a young child, I was just floored by the imagery of this painting. And again, again through the grace of God, this painting is now in our bedroom, right? And I mean, there's, there's other pieces. I'm sitting here and I can look above. Uh, there's a crucifix that would light up with a picture of Jesus and Mary that was in her dining room. So a lot of these things have kind of come down to myself and my dad, even though he wasn't uh, practicing his faith at all, especially in his, his last 25 years of life, when he had his mom's pieta on his dresser, like he had these little tokens of his faith. So this was really my first experience with Catholicism. And I always remember my mom too sharing, we would go to visit in Ottawa and she'd be helping doing dishes in the kitchen. She said she would just hold her head still and roll her eyes around just to see how many pictures of Jesus she could actually see <laughs> even there in the kitchen. And so this was the start of my, my Catholic faith or my first introduction to 
things that are Catholic, but against it, we weren't going to mass as a family. There wasn't, uh, the Catholic faith wasn't a part of our life at this point. And here I'm saying like I'm seven, eight years old at this point in time. Yeah. And so then it, it's at about this time, uh, through my dad's work in business, that we ended up going to Montreal as a family for a weekend, two, three days. Again, I'm eight years old. I don't really remember <laughs> all of the all of the details and the how long and where or why. But we ended up at the Oratoire Saint-Joseph, yeah. the, the Saint-Joseph's Oratory there on the mountain in, in Montreal. And I really think that St. Brother Andre played a role in pushing myself and pushing my family into the faith and really deepening that. Now, I mentioned just a little while ago that we did have my friend's daughter visiting us from Belgium. And so, you know, two weeks you hit all of the, all of the highlights. So in, in two weeks, we think we did about 2,500 kilometers on the car. Toronto a couple of times, Niagara Falls, and then you yeah, Ottawa and to Montreal. And we went to the, to the oratoire, we went to the oratory. And I remember saying to this young lady as we were going into the oratory, I said to her, you're really going to see here where pilgrimage and tourism collide. Right. And I just want to share this, this brief little story, and I'll come back to how St. Brother Andre helped bring us into the faith. So not just this time, but also the time before, when so t- about 10 years ago we were in montreal again to the oratory and so 10 years ago we're in the crypt in the oratory and we go to saint brother andre's tomb and with the notion that yeah we want to pray at the saint's tomb and there's some guy leaning with his elbow on the tomb and his cup of tim horton's coffee <laughs> having a little chat and i'm like so we just kind of kept going through because you can it's like a little circular walkway. So we just kind of kept going something. And then I got it. That's not right. That's <laughs> not right. So I just keep going the circle. I go back and he's still sitting there leaning on the tomb with his cup of coffee, chatting about whatever. Basta. So get down on my knees and start praying. So, yeah, he, he left after a couple minutes. <laughs> I think he kind of got the hint. But it's kind of this world where, like I say, Pilgrimage and, yeah, okay. and tourism collide. So when we were there a couple of weeks ago, when we got into the crypt and to St. Brother Andre's tomb, it was just my wife and I. All right. So okay, we get down on our knees and touching the, the, the tomb and, and praying. And it moved to tears. Anytime I've prayed at a saint's tomb, it's just moved to tears for what this person has done for the kingdom. And moved to tears and... Again, I can't remember how long it was. I finished my prayers. I stand up. My wife is still kneeling there praying. And there was a, a German tour group coming through. And you could hear them coming because the the tour leader had a microphone he was talking into in German. And they all had little earpieces that they were listening to the tour. And as he came around the corner and all of a sudden he saw my wife there, you could hear the volume just drop. And they kept going. And everyone's coming through. And they, you could tell that they felt kind of awkward as well. They realize that there is something holy here. Yeah, yeah. And it is a holy place. 
And my eight-year-old self also kind of realized that it was a holy place, right? So go back, again, I won't say how many, I can't do the math that quick. So my eight-year-old <laughs> self is there. Um, there's all of the camps. Have you ever been in the crypt at no, the no, Northwest no, Central Staff? Never. Never. Oh. So that's your that's your holiday yeah, next summer. I gotta, I gotta you, go. You're going on pilgrimage because it's and hopefully by then all the construction's done because the whole front's all ripped up now. Um, but in you, you go in the crypt, and I'd say it's about two stories high, and so they've got all the the candles for the to light candles for prayers, and they have all of these crutches that are over a hundred years old from the healings that happen there. So it really is impressive, really impressive that, that you see this faith there and St. Brother Andre's there. And then they have in a separate vault, his heart has been put into a, a special casket. And it, it, you know, it left a, a huge impression on this eight-year-old child to the point where my mom caught me at the drinking fountain blessing myself. And who knows <laughs> if it was even the proper sign of the cross because at that point there had been zero catechesis but I just knew that when you're in a holy place, you splash yeah, water on yeah. yourself <laughs> and, and you're, you're all good with God. And my mom's thought at that point was that yeah, we got to get this kid to church, right? We, we got to get him uh, in there. So that was kind of the push to get us going back to the Catholic church. Some of my parents' friends were also going to the Catholic church. So that made it easier. And that brought about actually my mom's, own conversion, right? So she, I was nine years old and my mom came into full communion with the, the Catholic church. Uh, and again, because I think the Salvation Army, their christening is different from our baptism. So she even had to be baptized. Oh, wow. So at the, the Easter vigil, there was her baptism, first communion and, and confirmation all together. And I can still... Again, it's over 40 years ago, so memory's a little bit hazy, but can still can still remember remember this. That must be interesting as a for one thing the the seriousness of her of her faith like that that takes some seriousness of faith to to come into not for a marriage or for a funeral or for whatever, but you know to become Catholic because you you're following you're believing that that's true and, and following that desire. And then for, for you as a kid to see that, that was a really exp interesting experience to experience that faith blossoming in your parent at, at that age, right? That's pretty in interesting. What did, that do, what did that do for you in, in your faith? You know, I really don't know how intuitive I was to that. Like I, I saw what was going on. We had started going to church and there was for me uh, an attraction to the faith um i think it was just cool to see mom going through yeah. that i don't remember her from the rcia program or, or anything like that um and again at nine years old and a little bit of our own family personality it was a reason to have a good party as well, right <laughs> like, I, so again that that notion of the strength of the faith and that that being drawn into a, a deeper theological reality wasn't necessarily there. And I think in some ways that's also very typical of my generation in that we were kind of the 
the first or the second generation to come out of the Second Vatican Council, and there wasn't as much of the the catechesis that's going on, right? And so at that time, we did start going to Mass, and I remember that Easter vigil well, not just because my mom was up in the sanctuary receiving her sacraments, but it was really my first experience of all of the smells and bells and, and being drawn in by the, the beauty of the liturgy even though I was probably gagging on the incense and kind of <laughs> yep in there. Go, go to kind of waving it away, waving it away, waving it away, but being pulled in by the smells and bells of that all. Um, and then also too wanting to receive the bread. I mean, it goes right back to my first experience at the United church, wanting the crouton yeah. and wanting to receive the Eucharist. And so I had to catch up a little bit because at this point I'm nine years old and it's a couple of years since my peers have all received their first Holy Communion. So I'm having to go to the Sunday school lessons. And I'm about six to eight inches taller than everyone else in the, in the <laughs> class. And having to play catch up catechesis. And to be quite honest, the only thing I remember from those Sunday school classes preparing me for first holy communion there was some activity about you know imagining what is what is it like going on in heaven and i saw it at that time as being a war between good and evil and again looking back time-wise um star wars or empire strikes back was really big <laughs> in the theater then so i had this big picture of star wars and the x-wing fighter and you know chasing down Satan in his TIE fighter. And <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you laugh. This is going to get better after. So we'll come okay. back to the Star Wars bit <laughs> in a little bit. But that that was kind of my view. And, and that was my catechesis, getting ready for First Holy Communion. And I've always maintained kind of like my generation was kind of the uncatechized generation. And so you wonder why my generation of 50-somethings are not necessarily in the pews is because we were never, we were never drawn in. We were never drawn in. We were never taught the beauty. We were never shown the beauty, right? But it was at this age, at, at nine, I always like to say I started my life within the Catholic bubble. Right? Because not only did we start going to church on a more frequent basis, pretty much weekly unless we had to go skiing or go here or go there. But again, that just gives you a, a feel for the, the typical atypical Catholic upbringing in our small town uh, serving on the altar. So a lot of my friends were fellow altar servers. Uh, one, one of the, the guys I met as an altar server when I was nine was the best man at our wedding. And, uh, you know, we still get together maybe once a year or so Um and all of my friends I would I had at school, most of them you would see at Mass on Sunday. Most, not all. And I would say more then than you would see now. Right? If you're going to a Catholic school now and you're going to Mass, you're maybe in the 5%, 10% at, at most. And so that really was like living in a bubble, but also was, again, still that introduction to the the Catholic basics. And I remember one of my first days 
in a Catholic school, and this was a grade four, so nine years old, and I came in halfway through the year. And so, Robert, will you lead the class in saying the Hail Mary? And there was just this dead silence. <laughs> no clue. I know who Mary is, <laughs> but why do we have to hail her like this? <laughs> there, there was just no, there, there, there was no clue. And there was really no one at home to teach either. My dad probably could have, but it wasn't necessarily on his radar. And for my mom, this was all new. As much as she was on fire for the faith, as you would know most new converts are, that their first little while, there really wasn't any catechesis going on uh, at home. And even at school, so within the Catholic school, I don't really remember there being mass at school. I'm sure there was. I'm not going to say there wasn't. I'm going to say if there was, it wasn't the highlight of my time at school. Religion class, I really don't don't recall. I remember the priest coming in to visit. Uh, we had one guy who was a seminarian in the parish and then a transitional deacon and then associate pastor. So, I, And he actually became a, a fairly good friend for a while. Um, but yeah, the... It was kind of like going to a public school, except that there was a cross on the wall. Yeah. Right? One of the funny things, though, too, uh, at this time, because starting to serve on the altar, and because I was involved at church, I was almost seen as the, the religious education source for my friends. Oh, yeah, you're the altar server, so you, you have to be behaving this way. And how come you're not being, if you're an altar server, how come you're, you're doing this or that? So it comes back to your, your notion of you know, these guys from the, the Catholic high school, and they're not really showing what it means to be a Catholic. So I would get that a lot, but also, okay, you're an altar server, so you, you have to, to know what's, what's going on. And I have distinct memories of being at a birthday party, and again, no more than 10. So we're, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. Um, these little dudes at a, a sleepover birthday party. And I don't know whose bright idea it was to bring out the Ouija board. Right. <laughs> and my buddy's mom, who would also be at mass with, you know, would be sitting beside their family in the pew at mass on Sunday. She's there. Oh, yeah, and bring out the Ouija board. Okay. But before we do the Ouija board, you're the altar server. You have to give each of us a blessing <laughs> to protect us while we do this. Of course. Okay. And, you know, pretend did my best father impression and wave my hand over everyone and probably went back to the water fountain to get some of that magical water out of the water fountain to, to, to sprinkle on everybody. Um, but yeah, that was kind of where, where we were at for catechesis. And I have to say the other added bonus of being an altar server when you're in elementary school is getting out of class to go serve funerals. Right. And I look back now and none of the stuff would happen in the church today. But, you know, the priest would come pick us up. We'd get in the back seat of his car. Probably no seat belts back then either. All right. Head over to the church and serve the, the funeral mass and stop at the corner store on the way back to get a chocolate bar or gum. And I'll be back at the school and kind of go, oh, yeah, we were, we were out all morning. And, uh, so that that's kind of. The, the lack of catechesis, I guess. And I, like I said, I, I don't know what you were, you were looking for, uh, for, for what, what it was like growing up Catholic. And it was like growing up 
anyone else in town up to this point. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So was there, was there a difference up into high school? Like for you did, I mean, because so for me, my, my experience in high school for me, I mean, I was raised interestingly enough. My first experience of church also is in the United church, the United church in Sharon, just outside of Newmarket. Okay. I think my parents, one of my parents, my mom's friends went there and, and for some reason we began going there a couple of times, a handful of times. And, and I remember my favorite communion story is going up and, I got to go up because we were we were nominally, I guess, Protestant. Uh, so our first real church experience, though. And I remember I went up and I had to you had to tear the bread off this loaf, like tear a piece of bread off this off this loaf, mm-hmm. and then I think like dip it in the wine, and then you you ate it. And I remember as a kid going up there and I tore a piece off and it was just way too big. It was this giant. Like, as a kid, like it was <laughs> this, as, as, as big as my fist, you, yeah. right? And I thought, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? Do I hide it? Look over here. Do I put it in the plant here. Like how can I? I can't eat this. It's just too big. And I somehow managed to put it in, put it in the wine and got it in my mouth. But then the taste of the wine was just this bitter, like what you know. So my mouth is stuffed with this bread, and I'm this wine's like, oh, what is what's going on here in my mouth? Like that's my lasting memory of my first real church experience. And then the bizarre thing with that too, Robert, is that I, I guess we were signed up at that at that church in, in some some form or fashion. Because I got a call. I don't know, maybe 10 years later or so for confirmation. I remember my mom calling, the, the, the phone rings back in the day, the house phone, right? Rings. Yeah, attached to the Some, wall. For- my mom answers and goes, hey, the, the phone's for you. It's, it's, the, it's the priest at the United Church or the pastor at the United Church wants to know if you want to get confirmed. And it, it stands out to me as one of the first times my parents kind of threw me under the bus because I go, well, mom, what's confirmation? And she goes, I don't know what confirmation is. You talk to him. She's calling for you. And so I, Ruby hadn't been there in, say, in, I don't know, eight, ten years or something. I don't know what age confirmation is in the United Church. But it was a number of years since we'd been there. And he had me on a list, and I was at that right age to start calling people on that on that Rolodex, right? So he calls me, and I said, well, no, I don't really want to. I don't really want that. Like, I'm not, I don't believe in that. Sorry. And it was a really strange experience. But up to that time, for us, like religion wasn't really a thing. We went for a bit to that church and then kind of not at all for a while. And so for me, high school was was formative, right? I can remember, you know, my story begins sitting around a, a, a campfire at the end of grade nine. Uh, I was a I was a band nerd, so we all these band kids. And so this was an end of the year party, but you know, party in very loose sense. We were very nerdy kids. We didn't really party. In the, in the sense that high school kids probably were partying elsewhere that well, night. Especially from your high school. Yeah. I'm not going to name names yeah. There, yeah. there either, but uh, yeah. They knew, how, they knew how to party. Had a a reputation. As it turns out. And see, I, I, I didn't even know those people who were doing those partying. But as it happens, you know, that was my first my first exposure to to to, to faith, to thinking outside of myself, because there was this guy that was at this campfire who was a Wiccan, of all things, who began who began really talking about what it meant to, to to believe and the world is bigger than just you and I and there's a cosmic force at work and language I hadn't even thought about before. And I, and I began to, in that moment, kind of come out of my shell of selfish, you know, kid, you know, you know self-focused, being, being a kid, being a young teenager, right? And began to think about outside of the box, outside of, well, maybe there's more to this world than just me and my own interests. And, and that was the gateway drug to Christianity for me. And I became, I became Christian evangelical that summer, Bought my Bible from the Treasure House, which is a fantastic, uh, no longer existing, you know, Christian supply 
I think mm-hmm. it was I think it was a Christian. I know it well. What do they call that? Christian supply or something? It was really interesting way they labeled that but uh it's where you go to get your croutons and grape juice yeah you do you do yeah and tucked away in the back there were rosaries as it turns out i learned later later in life but you know that was my high school experience was for me really an awakening of my faith and that's when i saw these guys and girls who were supposedly catholic in in the context i saw them now mind you i didn't i didn't know any catholics because those guys went to catholic school down the street so i wouldn't have known them in a social setting apart from the the guys going to these punk rock shows. So I didn't know the altar servers, right? Who, yeah. who probably weren't doing all that much or, or this much drinking on a Friday night. But, <laughs> but for me, high school was an awakening of my faith. So I want to know for you, like what was, what was that experience? Because here you are, this semi uncatechized, you know, Catholic kid altar server. I mean, what, what was that like for you kind of becoming your own, your own person. Yeah. And again, coming back, you say you wouldn't really have known those kids. And if we had grown up at the same time, we probably wouldn't have known each other either. Yeah. Right. Cause again, I call it that Catholic bubble Yeah, that you go to a Catholic school, your friends are Catholic and you go to the same church. It's not like the people are going to, to a different church. You're all within that, that bubble. And I have to say that move from elementary school to high school, and I've, I've heard your story so many times and your listeners have, have heard your story um, and that, that great awakening and, and that you say the, the, the gateway drug into Christianity and your evangelical uh, high school years. Not so much, not so much that, you know, yes, we had a, a distinct religion class. And actually back in the day, because we were, I was the first, maybe the second year of full funding of Catholic education right through grade 13 at the time. Now, did you ever have grade 13 OAC? We called it OAC by my time, but. Okay. I was number one OAC first yeah, year. So yeah. like we were, I was, uh, we I called was, ourselves grade 13s, but we really, we really weren't, but that's how I was old. The, yeah. I was, the, and I was I the last year. I was the last year, Robert. Okay, so, look so at we that. Were, Ar- the, the army bookends, bookends on that. yeah. <laughs> bookends on that. So when I first started going to the Catholic high school in town, uh, the religion class, you got half a semester of religion class and half a semester of phys ed for grades 9 and 10. So you didn't have a full, even a full religion class. And as much as it was mandated to take religion every year, so then grade 11, the world religions, and then grade 12, ethic, uh, grade 13, I just neglected to sign up for religion and nobody seemed to raise an <laughs> eyebrow over it. So even though it was a mandatory credit. Um, and so when I step into my grade nine re- religion class and some of, some of your listeners, especially your listeners in the Toronto area, probably know of Father Yake. And Father Yake was my religion teacher, but he's also taught some courses at the seminary here. And I think the year I entered grade nine, he published a book about Star Wars and the Bible. <laughs> right? So it comes all, it always comes back to Star Wars. And so religion, grade nine religion class was watching Star Wars. And when you come in the next day, of course, nobody remembers where we left off. So you have to kind of start near the beginning <laughs> again. Um, <laughs> So that was, yeah, that was religion class, was Star Wars. And again, I don't remember there, I don't remember, it had to have happened, that 
there were masses and liturgies. And whenever we got together for an assembly, yes, prayer was part of what went on. But outside of the, the cross on the wall over top of the classroom door, the faith really didn't permeate life all that much. And I was chuckling. You mentioned you, you were a band nerd, right? Yeah, so so was I. Um, somewhere around there, I think, grade 9 or grade 10, I actually even won the, the Instrumental Music Award, which um, befuddles many of the people I know because <laughs> musical talent does not reside here at all. I mean, I only ever played brass instruments because you only had to remember what to do with three fingers <laughs> after the three fingers on the brass instrument, like, forget it. I'm, I'm lost. But again, all of my friends that were in the band, right. Altar servers, the, my, my buddy on trombone who ended up being my best man, altar server with uh, the guy that played the saxophone, the guy that played the baritone, um, Myself, you know, played the French horn because, you know, with a name like Robert LeBlanc growing up in an English speaking, <laughs> anything that says French on it, you gravitate to. Uh, so, yeah, we were the band nerds and we would hang out. Uh, some of them ended up going to what was called incorporated or a core retreat. Um, and I maybe should have pushed harder to, to be involved in that. But there wasn't really an outside faith movement within within my life and and grades nine and ten would have been the time to to pull me in i was part of the the youth group and the youth group executive at the parish but it was more for social gatherings you know planning you know that we would have fundraiser dance or we'd go a ski day or to the blue jays game and that was more what the youth group was about in the church than any kind of catechesis. Uh, I remember being chastised the one time at the youth group meeting for having my heavy metal hit magazine out, right? <laughs> and we're, you know, me and my buddy are looking at the pictures and that. Put that away because we need to talk about the ski trip. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I, I, I think a lot of it is, um, you know, some, some missed opportunities. Uh, I'm just looking at my notes, things I say, I made all these notes, things I wanted to bring up. Like even in the high school, in the, the arts department, and they had their big showcase, and there was a, someone had done a, a nice portrait of St. John Paul II. At the time, it was Pope John Paul II, um, even before he was old, right? He had he'd only been Pope for maybe five years, not even 10 years at that point. And there was a cigarette taped up to his lips, Right, like that was the, the catechesis going on in in our Catholic high school, and it's not to to be lit because there was a lot of uh, a lot of great people in there, and I think a lot of people of faith, and I think a lot of seeds were planted along the way, right? Whether it was through elementary school or high school, because now through social media, I'll see pictures of so and so and so and so, and there, you know, oh, this is who I, I met at mass recently, or you know, this part of it, and I'm thinking. Wow, I didn't realize there was any faith, in, you know, in, in that person's life. But I think, as much as I, I'm deriding my upbringing and you know, kind of coming back to my wife's question right at the beginning, <laughs> did you really grow up Catholic? I think there's that typical notion that the faith was always there in the background. It was always part of our lives, as much as it was taken 
for granted. And then as kind of went out of those formative years at about the age of 15, 16, and into the more rebellious years, right? It became even less and less. And again, I think because it was never a huge part of my parents' life, it was never part of our our family life. So it was very easy to walk away from the faith at that time. Um, And a typical university experience, you know, liberal arts degree. Um, Again, I mentioned I had my friend's daughter over from Brussels. I went for a year to study in Brussels, in Belgium. And I went to the Université Libre de Bruxelles, so the Free University of Brussels, which was created uh, because it was to go in competition, I guess, if you will, uh, with the Université Catholique de Louvain. So the, the Free University was created to counterbalance the Catholic University. And of course, I ended up at the Free University. Not that it mattered much at university again and I can't speak to what was going on in the the, the Catholic University so did that finished my degree teachers college and I get to the point where I need a pastoral reference to get a job with the Catholic school board and so I started going back to mass just so the me maybe the priest will recognize who I am and <laughs> my buddy who I'd served on the altar with at the same parish 20 years before, not 20, maybe 15 years before. He was the music director at that time. So I had him try to introduce me a couple of times. So I get to the, the priest's office to fill out this pastoral reference. And he looks at me and he's like, who are you? And I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to go well. Um, but it was also the beginning of a long and, and winding road back. And if those seeds had not have been planted all the way along, right, right from my baptism through you know, even the United Church, but my grandmama's apartment, St. Brother Andre, at least being within at that Catholic bubble and that it was kind of in the background, was able to, to bring me back to the point where through my wife's witness to the faith and my wife living a very integral Catholic faith, was able to, to bring me back to the point where uh, one year for summer vacation, we were in Lourdes and Fatima, and the, the experiences in both of those places really then set my heart on fire. But in comparison, again, like I said, I've heard your story and the, the, the Bible classes and the scripture study and the camps and the retreats, and no, it wasn't there. It just, it was not part of, of my experience growing up. Did it exist with some? Maybe. But as a, a typical Catholic teenager in a typical North American small town, it was not a, a huge part of who we were growing up at all. <laughs> and that seems, like you say, typical. And does seem typical in terms of catechesis at that time, right? That it just yeah. wasn't something that... I mean, I, I just know from, from looking back and, and, and reading the people that I knew in my time in those Catholic circles that the catechesis didn't, was, wasn't, uh, wasn't a really important thing, right? Your youth group was about, I, I love that you're putting the magazine away 
a youth group talk about the ski trip. Not to not to do like liturgy or or have a or have a little no. time with it, the, the no, ski trip. No. Like it, it put that away. The, the ski trip's more, more important. I thought it was going to be you know the liturgy was more important or this prayer is more important, but no, it's the, the ski trip. And that's interesting. That 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 seems like such a such a uh, a thing at, at that time, right? Not that it's not that it's not changed or that it's changed, but it seems to be like kind of how. How when I think about that time in in the history of the church and how we how the church was 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 explaining itself and witnessing and preparing youth to go out and live the Catholic life, that seems like what what I imagine you had an experience and and through your your wife and these experiences and those seeds that I think that's so beautiful how those were planted like that. You now, as far as I know, Robert, <laughs> you know, living the 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 Catholic life. Uh, I think fully fully immersed or doing a good job pretending at least like. Those guys, those guys in high school, maybe doing, doing the best yeah. I can. Yeah. But yeah, some days I, some days I wonder. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's all. I, that's yeah. all of us that are trying to live the life we're that's our a, own worst critics in in yeah. a lot of ways. Absolutely. So, what I wonder is the ramification of of that kind of catechesis at that at that time, right? That that Catholic upbringing, that Catholic education, that maybe. Right, putting on the Star Wars instead of doing some kind of serious talk about about religion. What do you think is the impact of of that? I mean, you mentioned you you've seen some peers from that time who obviously seeds were planted because they're 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 practicing Catholics. But I feel like I know the stories of so many people who at that time, right, were were raised Catholic and then never again. Like I, my experience of Catholics from that that time period as evangelical later in my 20s, was meeting them at my evangelical church. And they'd go, oh yeah, we used to be Catholic, but now we now we know Jesus and we're evangelical and we're at this church now. And then they'd go on to talk about all these Catholic things that were really misnomers and misunderstandings about the, about the faith, but they picked up those notions in high school as a Catholic. They left that, that version of the Catholic faith for the authenticity of the evangelical faith but really, what they were leaving wasn't really the Catholic faith, and what they're what they're sharing now and criticizing wasn't wasn't the Catholic faith. But that's what they understood and were taught to be as the Catholic faith, right? So, I mean, what is your perspective on on those ramifications for people who who went through what you went through? I think you you've hit the nail right on the head, right, hundred percent. That it was really a, missed opportunities. Yeah, I think is maybe the best way I, I can describe it. This missed opportunity to catechize a whole generation, and because we've missed that generation, you're starting to see the the fallout of that. Um, I was reading a book at one point. Actually, it was on the French language in Canada, and it says, you know, the French immersion program is a, is a great program and. And, and I'll say that as well, not that I'm a product of the French immersion program. I didn't speak French until I was 16 and then spent time overseas. Um, but I teach in the French immersion program. And I think it's a, it offers great opportunities. But it says one of the biggest problems of the French immersion program is that our students are learning the mistakes from their teachers because we're not francophones. All right. And I get that because I know I'm constantly making errors. And my students will then pick up on that. And I think that's kind of almost what yeah, we yeah. can see with this misgeneration of Catholic catechesis is that our generation is now teaching that the half truths or the, the half 
lessons that we kind of gleaned here and there. And a lot of it maybe even coming from secular media as well. Um, that really doesn't give complete justice to our Catholic faith. And there's that need to start reclaiming. And we're seeing that more and more podcasts like the cordial Catholic that is, <laughs> is constantly out there trying to right the wrong. Like you, you say like you, a lot of people, and I can't remember the wording exact that you use. You, you, you would know better than I, even though I listen to it all the time, but just trying to get what the real story is yeah. on Catholic teachings. Right. And so there's yourself uh, and I, you know, Scott Hahn does a great, great job at that Bishop Baron, the Pines and Pews podcast. Again, we, we do our best, but we're probably, you know, making more mistakes than, than anything <laughs> oh. as we go along. But I think there, you're starting to see a, a bit of a shift. And when you think of um, Pope Emeritus Benedict the Sixteenth, at one point he said that, you know, kind of for the church to become stronger, it needs to become smaller, yeah, and yeah. you're going to see uh, a, a higher concentration, and that smaller pocket of church is going to have uh, a stronger catechesis, and then once that foundation has been built again, we'll be able to start going back out and, and sharing that. Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a great thing to bring up. I, and I think of that quote often. I do. And where we live now, we just moved to Sarnia, Ontario here. Uh, our diocese uh, just merged all the parishes in Sarnia into a family of parishes. Mm-hmm. And I think, you, you know, I think on one hand, oh, it's terrible. That means there's not enough Catholics to populate these churches. On the other hand, you know, I think of that quote, right? They're okay. This is, this is actually an okay thing because that's, this means that the church is going to be smaller but more authentically catholic right those people that were that 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 were 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 nominally there or culturally there have are leaving have left but the core of us is is being built up and and more concentrated and then like you say can then go out and call those people back in right do do the work of of calling back in i i wonder i want to i we could go on for a long time robert but I want to ask you one more question yeah. and close this off. I know it's getting after my bedtime, yeah. so I don't want to be quite but those old guys need to get our sleep. You know. Keep you up too I, long. Uh, I, I miss my afternoon nap today. Uh, so. I, I, I understand. I understand. I, I know what I miss mine too with three small, <laughs> with three small kids. Look, I wonder, I'm thinking of, of you and I today growing up in that, in that smallish town. And I wonder the experience of, of say, me and you now right? The evangelical kid going to Cedarview uh, Community Church, like, you know, the, 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 the Catholic guy at Sacred Heart. I won't name my high school because you're just going to tease me. <laughs> but I wonder what that experience is like now. Is, is there hope? Is there hope that, that those kids these days would, would have a better footing in their faith to be able to articulate what their faith is all about? And if they were to, were, were, were to meet, would I don't know, would have a different experience than, than, than me as an evangelical having these, these kind of misnomers about Catholics and, and seeing kind of the worst of Catholics. It's there hope to think that, and I think, I think you've already maybe alluded to this, it's there hope to think that this generation and generations to come will be better catechized? Like, are we, are we, are, is there things we have to do, gaps we have to fill, areas we have to push out into 
to harder to make sure that we're, we're, we're passing on this faith? I mean, we have kids. I have very small kids. So I'm thinking, is there, is there hope that, that they will, they, they will find a world that's, that they can fit into as Catholics? Well, there's always hope. Always hope like that's our, our faith is based on, on hope, but would they, like if you and I were to have met saying that we were the same age as high school students today, one as an evangelical and the other as a, as a Catholic, you know, would the evangelical be able to, to discuss his faith? hundred percent, hundred percent. Would he, as a teenager, and you could answer that better, would, as an evangelical teenager, can you, as much as you can articulate what your faith is, do you have a f- complete grasp of what it is? And that's just calling into notion the, the cognitive abilities of a 15-year-old, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? That it has nothing to do with the catechesis. On the Catholic side of that, my answer would be maybe or depends. Right, <laughs> both kind of meaning the same thing. Uh, it depends on the the foundation that that student or that that adolescent has had growing up, and you know, the the parents are the first educators of their children in the faith, and so it depends on what the faith life of the parents is, and as much as my own son is is at eighteen questioning things rather rigorously now i know those seeds have been been yeah, planted yeah. and as and he'll always say well dad at 18 you weren't going to church it's like, <laughs> fair enough and i know i always came back right so there, there's that that hope there but i also know that if someone were to ask him about why catholics do certain things or what they believe he'd be able to formulate some kind of answer yeah, yeah. right but there are others that have grown up in the catholic system that might not be able to to do that just because the adults that they have encountered are from that uncatechized generation, right? And that's really the biggest misopportunity of having an uncatechized generation is that the ones, the generations that come after don't really even have anyone to go to, to be catechized, or, or it's not, a, it's not floating in the background of their lives. Like it was floating in the background of my life. Yeah. Like and my, I said, my, my, my mom, right? So there was always that notion that was kind of there where that doesn't exist as much, if at all, anymore in, in many homes. And so are the adolescents of this generation able to articulate their Catholic faith? Some yes, some no. It just depends on the adults that they've come into contact with. But if the seed has been planted, and the seed is planted at baptism. Yeah. And a great line I was reading from a book today on Fatima, you know, it's our vocation to get to heaven, right? And, and our baptism begins that process. And so there's always this yearning within our humanness to be completed. I and mean, we just celebrated the Feast of St. Augustine and our hearts are restless and they won't rest until they rest in you. Sometimes it just takes a little while to figure out who that you is, <laughs> right? And so... Our hope has to be that they will eventually come around. I think that's fantastic. That's very well said, Robert. Gives me goosebumps. And you're right, we can't discount the graces of baptism, right? That's a very real thing. And those prayers, I mean, I I, I thought back on this recently, 
you know, my my mom's my mom's parents um, were a bit of a difficult marriage and and, and upbringing, and her grandparents did a lot of her, her mom's parents did a lot of the raising of her and, and helping out, and I always knew them as Jehovah's Witnesses. Right, and that's that's how I I knew them, and we were kind of a bit estranged from them in that respect because it was kind of a weird thing. They didn't do birthdays or Christmas, and we didn't kind of talk about that mm-hmm. very much. But I remember when I was in high school, after I became an evangelical Christian, I'd I'd found in my I don't know why how I came upon it, but in my mom's in my my parents' bedroom somewhere in a bureau or something, looking for something, uh, an old Bible and a rosary, and I I kind of went well. Who's are these? This is weird. Like, you know, why, why am I finding this here? And it turns out that it was, that I've, I've pieced this together. I don't think that my mom even knows this for, for sure, but I, based on my, my love for history and some research that I've done, as far as I can tell, those, those grandparents were, were Catholics. They came from Poland during a time when the Jehovah's Witnesses were aggressively evangelizing, if you can call it that, these Catholics coming, to, coming in, into Canada, immigrating, they had a very relentless campaign to convert these uh, these immigrants into into their their religion, mm-hmm. and so I think about the fact that you know, and she and she she died as Jehovah's Witness and had that funeral and, and whatever. But I think of you know who knows now, Robert, like where what her her status, mm-hmm, <laughs> if you will. Mm-hmm. But I think about the fact that you know that my my great grandma was was a Catholic at one point, and the and the the grace of those people. If they're if they're able to pray for us, right? That's powerful too. Those that came before us, it might skip some generations of those uncatechized people, right? But but you yourself have talked about these seeds planted, you know, not by the generation directly above you necessarily, but those our ancestors, those the, the saints throughout time who can pray for us. That's a beautiful thing in the Catholic faith. We believe they they have that power and those prayers. You know, I, I think how. how I don't know. It, it, it's a sacred moment for me thinking back to finding that that rosary in that Bible and going, "Wow!" Like that. For all I know, my my great grandma could have been praying me into the church when I was on my journey into the Catholic faith, and I never even really knew about it. <laughs> but, See, now you now you're giving me goosebumps, <laughs> and you know, as we wind up here too, if you'll just permit me to to kind of share a little bit more. Um, so when you're talking about your grandmother like that, one of the prayers I, I do when I'm praying the my rosary, I always end off with a, a litany of saints. But then I also go through a litany of family members and close friends who have passed away. Wow. My father, for example, and I'll share his story in a moment. But I'll say, and, and I've been slagging my dad, and, and really I shouldn't, and, and I'm going to share a, a wonderful story about him in a second. I'll say, you know, Donald Leblanc, pray for me as I pray for you. Because like you say, we don't know their status once they they leave this earthly life. It's not for us to decide. It's our hope that they make it to, to heaven. And so I pray that he's there. And if he's there, I'm asking him to pray for me. Right. And those, those seeds that are planted. And I always say that the faith is like garlic. And when people have asked, you know, my, my own teenage son included, you know, my child has kind of wandered away from the, the faith. And first of all, here's a prayer to a petition to St. Monica, because if anyone knows, she knows. But I also say faith is like garlic. You, you plant garlic in the fall and it lies dormant through all the dark days of winter. <laughs> and then in the spring, it finally sprouts forth and, and it comes to full bloom 
in the summer, right? So you can say tulips. Tulips are a little bit more uh, a prettier <laughs> way of saying it. But when I first came to me, it was like, your yeah, faith is like garlic. Like, it can be smelly too, but that's kills, not kills vampires, Robert. So, yeah. so uh, if you just permit me to finish off, I mean, it's kind of that that hope and that faith. And I you know, said, my my dad had, you know, he was the one who was raised Catholic, and he had this opportunity to raise us Catholic, and he he didn't really put that much effort into it. I didn't want, I don't want to be slagging him through through the whole podcast here. So I do want to share uh, a story of my dad on his deathbed. He has. As an adult, and as I came back into the faith, and Ellie and I, my wife and I, lived our faith, he would mock us at sometimes and kind of, you know, tease us about our faith and, and praying. Um, when he went into palliative care, then we, we knew it was just a matter of days. We, I finally asked my mom, and you know, we called the priest to, to come and give him the anointing of the sick. Right, um, so the priest is there at his bedside in the nursing home. And he's going through the sacrament and the prayers of the sacrament. And my dad, through his morphine-induced haze to to help keep him comfortable in his last moments, you could see he was struggling to follow along the sacrament. He, he knew at that point in time how important this sacrament was. And you could see him focusing and, and fighting and struggling to focus on the prayers and the gestures and everything that was going on in the sacrament. And when the sacrament was finally finished, my dad struggled. He managed to lift his head up off the pillow. And the second last word I ever heard him say was, Amen. Amen. Right. And I think I'm getting goosebumps now sharing it. And it's, it gets easier with time. It's been four years. It gets easier to share this story. But that is our hope. And I, I think of our Lord's parable of the workers in the vineyard, those that start at nine in the morning. Right. I maybe started at about 1030, you know, kind of after the first coffee break as I entered into the faith at nine. You came in maybe at the afternoon coffee break. My dad came in two minutes before quitting time. Right. And that is our that is our, our hope. And if there was one faith lesson for him to teach me, that was it, right? So Oh, you're killing me. So, <laughs> what so a way to end. You you've got yourself myself, I don't know, yourself and all the listeners just <laughs> Yeah, like it's, rise it's, it's, it's easier to share that story the first oh. time I shared that. I, I barely made it through. But that's powerful if there stuff. was one faith story for for my dad to have shared with me growing up Catholic, he waited until wow. you know, the, the very end, right? That's incredible. I'm I'm speechless, which is bad for a host of a show. <laughs> Robert, that is just I think the perfect place to end. I this has been an absolute treat for me. Listen, I, I want to thank you for for being here on the show, for your friendship. I mean, we started chatting for, for your podcast and we've continued since then. And I, I really appreciate the role you've played of being a, a, somebody in my life. Uh, you're, you're, yeah. I mean, we haven't, we have not met in person yet for that point, but it's coming. I've, I've moved further away from you, but it's okay. We can meet in the middle still. Oh, yeah, uh, I think we'll I think meet in the middle. And I think <laughs> yeah. in the, the not 
so distant future we, we could end up being yeah. closer together yeah. eventually anyways yeah. i think there's at least one more move in in my yeah. future wouldn't, wouldn't that be great wouldn't it be great yeah, that, that, that would be fantastic <laughs> it's yeah we it's been almost a year since you were on the podcast and we do want to have you on again real soon. This has been an absolute blast. Like you say, from the first moment when we realized we were both from the same hometown and then those, those text messages back and forth throughout the year. um, I feel like we we've grown as uh, (laughs) brothers in the faith. And and I've been looking so since you sent the invitation, I've been so looking forward to, to talking to you live voice and just having a a good chuckle as we, we go along and, uh, you know, kind of making fun of my alma mater, the Heracles, you know, the, the Catholic high school that, yeah, those of us that were there. And, and and I've mentioned it on our podcast as well, that you, you've talked about this and I say, yeah, and shamefacedly, I was probably one of those guys. Not that I knew where to get all the dough that, was, that wasn't, but yeah, if you wanted a beer, I mean, that's why we're at the Pints and Pews podcast. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Nothing has changed. Well, thank you so much, Robert. I appreciate it. Thank you for the, the I want to say, too, thank you for being here and thank you for, for this. And and I want to say God bless you and the work you're doing for, for the church and in your podcast, in your writing. Uh, where do you, where can people go to find, I mean, the show, uh, I'll put links to your show in the show notes for this show. It's, it's the Pints and Pews podcast. It's everywhere podcasts are are found you've also written a couple of books and and you are you speak quite often in our neck of the woods uh but probably will travel internationally if somebody is willing to lure you out of your your smallish town where do you want to point people towards to to learn more about the things ways to connect with you what do you the the easiest place to find all of those things is catholicmoment.ca so I had started a, a YouTube ministry a few years ago, Catholic Moment, like short five, seven-minute videos just going through the Catholic faith. Um, time restraints have kind of put that on the back burner uh, of late. Um, but no, Catholic Moment, you can find there uh, links to the the videos that were there. You can find there a link to the podcast as well. You can find uh, a link to describe uh, the, the two books. So the first one uh, that came out, both of them with Justin Press, which is out of Ottawa, small, great small Canadian Catholic uh, publisher. Uh, Who do you say that I am and other questions that Christ asks us? So look at eight different questions that Jesus poses in the Gospels and what does that mean for us living in the world today? And then the one that came out last year, uh, Five Smooth Stones, facing the Goliaths of our fears, looking at the story of David and Goliath and how David put five smooth stones into his shepherd's pouch to, to take on Goliath and you know what do we need to do to take on the, the Goliaths of our fears out in the, the world today so you can find that there uh, the different talks that I do drop me a line through through that um, that's really the easiest catholicmoment.ca awesome I'll put those the link to that in the, in the show notes as well Robert thank you thanks for your work thanks for being here this has been a blast uh, I appreciate it hopefully listeners love it I I think it was great. I'm biased because I think you're a cool guy, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see no, what they I'm, think. I'm a band geek, so yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that far. So yeah. the French horn. <laughs> that was the best. Thanks, Robert. Take care. God bless you, and thanks for being here this week. Well, thank you, and God bless you as well, Keith.
I can't stop laughing. My face hurts from smiling, friends. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed uh, making that episode. I think it was fantastic. Robert's a great storyteller with a really good story to tell, don't you think? I think that was fantastic. Wow. I've got goosebumps. I've, my face hurts. It's it's all a little bit too much right now. I need to go go debrief for a bit. Uh, check out the show notes for this show if you want to figure out where you can find more from Robert and the work that he is doing. His website, uh, catholicmoment.ca, his podcast, his books. It's all great stuff, guys. Please do follow him and find him in those places. We are at thecordialcatholic.com for show notes. I'm Cordial Catholic on Instagram and on Twitter. The Cordial Catholic on Facebook. And your feedback can come my way at cordialcatholic at gmail.com. I love to hear from listeners where you're listening from, who you are, and why why you continue to listen. I get back to those emails as soon as humanly possible. Please do write. I will get back to you as soon as I can. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please make sure you subscribe and leave a rating and a review that helps to push the podcast out to new people. I know it's hard sometimes, but if you can, if you remember when you're able to, please leave a review. It does a lot to get this show out to new people, and that's the whole point and purpose of this thing. If you feel called to support the show in any way, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or one-time donation at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic goes a long way to help supporting this show, making it possible for me to do it week after week. You guys bless the show that way, and it's been amazing, so thank you. Um, talk to you next week, guys. Thank you for listening. Take care, and as always, God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.